You're listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Welcome everyone. So good to have you here. I love that. I love when a greeting time just has to go a little extra long, you know, because you guys are just connecting, saying hi, meeting people around you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name's Cam Daly. I am the campus pastor here, one of the pastors here at CA. If this is your first time here at Rail City Campus, thanks for coming. Welcome. It's so good to have you. If this is your first time at church, you are absolutely welcome. If you've been with us every week since the beginning, Congrats, right? That's like, honestly, that's a, that's a real accomplishment, you know? It's like coming out of the pandemic, pajamas and online church, we're starting to become, re, you know, real cozy. So if you've been here every week, I'm glad you're here, really glad. Uh, today we are continuing in week five of our series in the book of Ephesians. And uh, this being a, a series really where we're talking about our identity in Christ, who we are and who God says we are, and really our new reality in Christ. Paul, as, as Dave talked about last week, he had such an incredible encounter with Jesus, it totally changed the trajectory of his life. Uh, and I've had in, an incredible encounter with Jesus when I was 16, and it totally changed the trajectory of my life. And because of that, suddenly, even though, uh, you know, there, there's days that are really good days and days that are really bad days, and uh, I, sometimes our circumstances are good, and even within this room, there's a varying of different places that you find yourself in. But what Paul is saying, what I've experienced is this, is because of this person named Jesus, we have a new reality, a new reality, a new way of seeing the world in which we live. I've given illustrations in the past. It's, it's like a new way of looking at the diamond. Uh, I've said it, it's, it's like a lookout point, a lookout point where you suddenly get to see the city in a new lens. And I'm hoping today that although I believe our, our text, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard. It's a little bit hard to hear. I, I pray that it would help us as we reflect on who we were or maybe who we are right now and who we could be because of the grace and the mercy of God. What Paul is going to talk and speak about is this, is that there's something that's gone terribly wrong. Something that's gone terribly wrong in our world. And I think you experience it. There's wars and rumors of wars. There are pandemics, like the ones that we've just faced. We see uh, climate change rapidly, uh, you know, in even affecting us here in British Columbia with heat domes. You ever heard of a heat dome? I, I never heard of a heat dome until this year, right? And, and temperatures getting to 40. You ever heard of an atmospheric river? <laughs> never until just a few weeks ago had I ever heard of an atmospheric river, right? Things are changing. Things are happening. And let's be honest, there are horrific and evil regimes and leaders and things that are happening all over our world. Uh, there, there's great strife. There's great disunity amongst people. There are things that were meant to protect us that are now dividing us. And there was and there, all sorts of things. And we find ourselves in a really interesting and strange time in human history. And I believe it's excelled by the fact that we have such extensive knowledge such extensive knowledge of the past, 
but also such rapid knowledge of the presence. Technology has made it possible not for us to know about the tragedies in our own city or, or region or even country, but things that are happening thousands of kilometers across the planet, and we know the moment that they take place. I think uh, back to when I was in grade 8, September 11th, even though I'm, we are far, far away from New York City, I knew that very morning I watched live this event take place. Technology has given us such an insight into the things that are happening in our world. Drones have given us detailed looks at the devastation of the floods. Phones capture video of horrific events and moments that are taking place in our world. Machines can scan the earth to tell us exactly how many unmarked graves are in the ground. The internet informs us with up-to-date numbers of things that are happening in the world in regards to the pandemic. We live in a time of such extensive knowledge and, and, and we look at the world and I believe we are lighting the candle today, the candle of hope. And I think that outside of Christ, many of us may be feeling a sense of hopelessness as we survey the world, as we survey what is happening on this planet. And so Paul wants to speak to this. He wants to speak to the origin of the problems that we face, the origin of, of where all of this has come from. Who's to blame? Where should we point the finger? What's the source? I think back to um, this on a little bit of a lighter note. I think back to a, a time I was at Camp Quanos. I was a camp counselor. And, uh, you know, it, you get to spend a week with a bunch of kids. And it's so much fun. It was a, a week where there was juniors particularly. Now, uh, you know, and so some of them are, it, when you're in that like junior, middle school kind of age, some of them are very short and some of them are very tall. And there's just like no rhyme or reason. It's just like you're both the same age, but you're six foot one and you're like four foot five, right? So it's like, <laughs> so I had one of those kids who was like four feet tall in my cabin and we're at Q-Town. Q-Town's like chapel. It's basically like worship, what we've just experienced here. We're singing songs, but there's actions. And people actually sing. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, anyways, and so it's like, uh, you know, they're hanging out. This kid really wanted to see what was going on on the stage. So I, I picked him up and I put him on my shoulders, okay? And so we're kind of like partying and jumping up and down. And it was so much fun. It was really great. And suddenly I began to just smell just this stench, you know. It's like, oh. It's like middle school kids. Like, you know, when I was a middle school youth pastor, I straight up used to give out deodorant as a prize. <laughs> right? Like, it was just like, wow. Right? Like, I, straight up. It would just be we throwing deodorant into the crowd. Right? Little, little <laughs> kids are like, what? I'm like, put it on. Okay? No, like, <laughs> clean t-shirts. Right? Because <laughs> seriously, like, middle school kids just never change. Like, it's just, and especially at camp, they just wear their same camp t-shirt all day long. So I assumed, I'm like, it must be the camp t-shirt. Like, you know, or it must be just one of those stinky middle school kids. And uh, I don't know if you've been to Quanos. They, it, it does have this smell, you know. <laughs> They, I think they figured it out since then that they realized they had to actually flush the septic system. I heard that a couple of years ago. But say, so is it that camp smell? We jump in. I'm so happy, feeling snappy. It's like, you know, it's like we're saying, like, that's one of the songs. But um, anyways, then I begin to feel just this moist feeling on my neck, right? Take the kid off. Hey, why don't we just spend some time down here? 
I realized he had completely just in just the, wow, he was so excited. <laughs> he was so excited uh, that yeah, he had done a number, uh, number two, <laughs> and, uh, and it was all over me. It was on the smell. I, I was looking out there. You know, to, to outside sources of where this stench was coming from. But I realized that it was on my head and it was on my shoulders. <laughs> and this is what Paul is speaking to today. <laughs> is that many of us naysaying on our phones, those people, oh yeah, them over there, it's their fault. It must be someone out there. Paul's saying, nope. It's on your head. It's on your shoulders. This is where the blame lies. And so if you're willing, if you're able, would you please stand as we read God's word and we look into the mirror of what Paul is saying about who we were or who we are, depending on where we're at with Jesus. And so let's read together. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, you once were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse or to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires of our inclinations of our sinful nature. By very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Continues. But God... God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us with Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. So God can point to us in future ages, as an example of his incredible wealth, of his grace and his kindness towards us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ. And it ends on this note. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. It begins on a rather harsh note, but with such an incredibly positive and encouraging ending. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us today. And God, I pray that, um, Holy Spirit, you would be welcome in this place. And that we would hear from you. Holy Spirit, your, your job is this. You convict the world of sin. You speak to us the truth about who Jesus is. And you encourage us. I pray you would do all three today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So if I could retitle this message in your guys' Ephesian booklets. By the way, you, please, please use them. Take notes. I promise, you know, a year from now, two years from now, you'll be able to look back and just look at the things that God spoke to you through these texts. And that's our hope and our encouragement. But you'll notice the title in the book was this, I Am Alive. And it, it's absolutely true that our, part of our identity in this text is the fact that we have been made alive together with Christ, that we once were dead, but now we've been made alive. But as I began to survey the depth and, and just the, the magnitude 
And, and, and the list of things that God has done for us throughout this text, I realize that it's, it's much bigger than that. We are a people who are saved. I am saved. We have been rescued. We have, we, there, there's been an incredible rescue mission for us who were far from God. And so, the questions I want to answer for us today, it's, it's threefold. The first is this. What are we saved from and who are we saved by? Those are the two. And then we'll conclude our time together with talking about what were we saved for. Circling back to our opener, talking about this idea that we are saved. What have we been saved from? One of the things I always like to say about church is this. If you come to church and you don't hear good news, either you misheard us or we didn't do our job, right? Uh, If you came to church and you didn't hear good news, either you misheard us or we didn't do our job because we are are supposed to be a, a center for, for good news. We are supposed to be the, pro, the proclaimers of good news. And this season that we're heading into right now, it is, says that it is good news of great joy that is for all people. But one of the things about good news is this, is that it's not really good until we know the bad news, right? So I promise you right now, you will hear good news, but we're going to start with the bad news. The bad news about who we are, about what we were like, and what we were safe from. Paul starts this text, and and, and really to circle back to our opener, the question was this, is whose fault is it? All of these problems in the world, and Paul says that it's on our heads and our shoulders. He says this in verse 1, you once were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is collective. This includes me as well. This is all of us. This is every single one of us. There was something that happened spiritually for us when we disobeyed, when we turned from God. And sin is simply just missing the mark. It's not even the egregious sins. It's not even the, you know, the, the things that all of us in society, you know, look up our noses at. It's just simply missing the mark at all. I, I remember one time Dave and I, we were playing darts. And actually one time we, we straight up did this on stage. I held a dartboard. <laughs> And he began throwing darts at it, right? And I remember Dave takes this dart and he just like sends it, right? Like way past me, right? And it, and it, it went into the wall up at Mariner, okay? There's still, it's still there. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm kidding. There's probably still a mark. But it's, it's just simply missing the mark. And here's what the first, the first problem with sin is this, is that the fact that we were dead. We were dead. You see, death, death, both spiritual and physical, is the first penalty against us as human beings. It's the very first penalty against us as human beings. In Romans 6, 23, it says this, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Another way of saying this is that what we deserve, the payment we deserve for the things that we have done is death. It deserves the death penalty. And this isn't just a figure of speech, oh no. Because we were dead in the only sphere of life that really matters. We were dead in relationship with the source of life, the giver of life, the creator of life. In the early chapters of Genesis, we see that God created the world and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, as the psalmist tells us. And it was good. He proclaims this was good, this was good, this was good. And God 
gives them complete access to all that the world has, except for he gives one prohibition. It says, but don't touch this one tree. The reason for the tree, like, God, why, why, would, you, why would you put this tree there? Like, it's rather tempting, and if you would have just removed the tree, then we might have been good. But the tree was a choice, a choice to love God. And love is always a choice. Love is not forced. And God does not force us to love him. And our, our, our great ancestors, the very first peoples, they made a choice. They chose to rebel. They chose to mistrust. They chose to turn their backs on God and turn their face towards their own way and their own reality, their own scope of reality of how things were. And when they made that choice, because he said, if you eat from this tree... It will lead to death. And at that moment, they, they were broken off in relationship with God, with the giver and sustainer of life. As Acts chapter 17 says, in him we move and we live and we move and have our being. We, we were cut off from that source. And what it created in us was this, and it was twofold. First, a spiritual death, one in which we were cut off relationally, from the giver of life, but secondly, a new trajectory. Death was not supposed to be a part of the original plan. No matter what Darwin tells us, or survival of the fittest, I think that we can all agree is that physical death, there's something that feels just not right about it. I remember, um, and we're, we're culturally quite removed from death, we don't see it a lot. But I remember being uh, in Burnaby General Hospital. I was there with my grandfather as he passed. And as he breathed his last, some people will describe it as peaceful or, or things like that. And I think these are things that we might tell ourselves to feel at peace in the moment. But there was something in my soul that just said, this is not right. This isn't right. It was too soon. I know it's normal. I know it'll claim all of us. But there's something that that just doesn't feel right about this in my soul. And maybe you felt that way. That's why we say, oh, it was too soon. It wasn't right. It was, that's why it mourns our hearts. Because it wasn't part of the original plan. There's something in our deep consciousness that says this is not the way it was supposed to be. I think of Jesus when he showed up at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus. This was a close friend of his. And when he arrived at the tomb, it says a deep anger welled up within his soul. In a sense, it, he wasn't angry at the crowd. He wasn't angry at Lazarus. He was angry at death. And it says the shortest verse in all of the New Testament, Jesus wept. He cried because this was not the way it was supposed to be. And this is true for us as well. Spiritual and physical death was not the way it was supposed to be. It, it, we, we were meant to be people who lived forever with God. That is why our future hope is a reality that is eternal because it is God restoring things as it was. Apart from Christ, in a sense, we are the walking dead, those who have a heartbeat but have spiritually flatlined. The difficulty and tragedy of our situation is this, dead people cannot resuscitate themselves. There is a finality to death. Coffins and cremation are irreversible, it seems. There's only one who can bring back people from the grave, and it's not us. It's God. And this isn't good news. And the good news gets worse. 
This text reminds us that we were enslaved. It says this, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world. And another translation says, in which you once walked following the course of the world. This word world here is this word cosmos. Cosmos doesn't just refer to the physical universe, but rather it refers to a world that has set itself up, a human society that has organized itself without God. You have followed the ways of the world, a society, a world that has organized itself without God at the center. We took our cues from it. We let it shape our identity and self. We let, it, we, we, we let our pursuits be guided by its virtues and values. We let it shape the trajectory of our nations and cities. We allowed it to direct our beliefs on every subject. And as Eugene Peterson said, a Vancouver author, and the way he translated this in his paraphrase, the message, he said, we let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell us how to live. And we listen. And we became enslaved to its deceptive ways. And this was twofold. Both we followed the world, but we also began to follow that very first enemy in the garden that I spoke of, that whispered lies of deceit about who God was and what his intentions were to those first people. It says in this text, and we obeyed the devil. Some of you are like, really? <laughs> it's 2021, okay? We don't believe in devils and tooth fairies and stuff like that anymore. We have science. But even mathematics and science and these things are now pointing to the fact that our world is multidimensional. And this aligns with the biblical worldview, that our world and the world around us is not just what we can touch and see and smell and test, but it is beyond the eye. It's beyond what we can see. And we believe as believers that there are unseen forces of evil and this text tells us consciously or unconsciously, we are following and directed by their influence. There's an author named Walter Wink. Here's what he said. The spiritual powers are everywhere around us. Their presence is real and inescapable. The issue is not whether we believe in them, but whether we can learn to identify our actual everyday encounters with them, what Paul calls the discerning of spirits. And it may feel silly to you to hear us speak of the devil or Satan. What nonsense. But Daryl Johnson, he puts it this way, and I believe it, 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 it gives us a new lens of considering these things. Here's what he says, and it's rather poignant. Do you think that human trafficking is just the work of human beings? Do you think the stranglehold that pornography has on our culture is just the work of humans? Do you think the grip of gangs have on people is just the work of humans? Do you think that the power wielded by dictators is just the work of humans? Do you believe that the chokehold of consumerism is just the work of humans? Paul explains that we used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air who messes with human sin to bring us down into the pit. He says, do we, are we really so naive to believe that the depths of, of and the severity of the atrocities that we see in humanity is just simply the work of human beings? Are we so naive just to believe that? 
the terrorism and temptation and incredible hatred that people have for one another are solely the result of human wickedness, simply? This text tells us, no, it's far more sinister than that, isn't it? There's an evil one. His sole mission is to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And if we would just follow him in his ways, maybe he could lead us away from God. And that's his desire. He desires worship for himself, to take worship off of the one who deserves it all. And to direct it on places and people and things. And maybe even himself that will lead us astray and will not lead to this salvation that this text speaks about. In the words of the great theologian Kevin Spacey, In 1995, Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, poof, he's gone, right? And where is the spirit at work? It's at work in the hearts of those who disbelieve. Those who who are non-believing of these things, believing of the fact that there's a God, that there is an evil one, that there is such thing as sin and death. Those who have been deceived. Here's our last part of our enslavement, and I promise I'll get to the good news. And it's, it's really simple. We all used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful desires. Our sinful desires going all the way back to the garden was this, to organize our lives and try to live apart from God. But that's our definition of freedom today, isn't it? Follow your passionate desires. Whatever it is, you want, have it. Whoever you want to be, be it. If you, if you want to do it, do it. That's freedom. That's life. That's the good news. Chase after it. Any inclination you feel or experience, go for it. And this text is telling us no. These are actually, that, that the human heart is not so pure. The human heart is not pure in the sense that, it, that we can trust it. In fact, the scriptures say in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus says, out of the human heart comes evil thoughts. And he goes on a long grocery list of all the things that come out of our hearts. The heart is misleading. And, and Paul is saying here that, that we used to listen to our heart. <laughs> we used to chase after every desire and inclination that we have. And here was the result. We became condemned. It says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. God was was angry. He was frustrated. But not not in the way in which, you know, I I don't know if your dad might have been different. And not all dads are like this. So I'm not just painting them all with the same brush. But, you know, I, I, from time to time, when dad would just, just kind of, ah, he would just get all zealous and angry. Oh, you didn't put away the dishes again. He would have this really like this, this quick rage or just building up of emotion or sudden, you know, flick of a switch. This is not the kind of anger that God the, the, the speaking of God here, this isn't God just getting angry and passionate and frustrated. But as Daryl Johnson says it, he says this is God's controlled, relentless, righteous reaction to all that is not righteous. It's controlled. 
This isn't God losing his temper. This isn't God just losing it with us, but he is righteously angry. You know you can be angry and not sin. Have you ever looked at some injustice in the world or heard a story or seen something happen and and an anger, you know, wells up within you? Kind of like Jesus when he looked at the tomb of Lazarus. It says a deep anger welled up within him. We believe Jesus is God. He experienced anger, but we know he never sinned. God became righteously angry at the things and the ways in which we had chased after, the, way, the things that we had pursued, the ways in which we had acted. Leon Morris says it this way, it denotes not so much a sudden flaring up of passion, which is soon over, but a strong, settled opposition to all the evil arising in the world. We can be righteously angry. But then, the good news comes in this text. And honestly, friends, two of the greatest words that you'll hear this morning, two of the greatest words you may ever hear, it says, but God. But God. In light of all that we had done, in light of all the ways we had organized society and our life, after all of the ways that we had pursued things that would harm us and hurt us and he declared as evil, after all of that, it says, but God, but God was so rich in mercy. He was so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead, Because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point back to this event and say, look how gracious I was. Look how kind I was. But God... Our situations, folks, was one of the deepest holes and quickest of sands. We were stuck and confused and utterly helpless and hopeless. But God, but God entered our situation and he gave us life. He gave us life. It reminds me of a story, a rescue story that was a lot like God. We're facing a flood season out in Abbotsford. Our hearts, our prayers are extended to them right now as we see people's homes and everything were, are being destroyed. And it, it reminded me, actually, as I thought of the, this flood story, of a flood uh, that happened in the Mississippi River down the United States. At certain seasons, in the, the flood season, the Mississippi River, they would build up sandbags on the banks to hold back the floodwaters. And there was a story in the news of two brothers who would play there. They would jump from sandbag to sandbag and they would just play during, during flood season. There was these vast sand banks that were, were along the side of the Mississippi River and as flood season came and the waters began to rise, it would mix with the sand and it would actually create spots and, and, and places where there was quicksand. And these two brothers were going along and one of them jumped down from the sandbags onto what he believed was just a sandy shore and he began to get stuck He began to sink, and the thing about sinking sand is this, the more you struggle, the farther you descend. The older brother is there, he's surveying the situation, he's seeing what's happening with his younger brother, and he has a choice. Do I go, and do I get help, or do I go and help my my little brother? 
They're yelling for help, and no one's coming. The older brother enters into the quicksand to try and help his brother out. And he begins to sink in all the commotion. Some people nearby did hear their shouts eventually. Search and rescue and local fire department arrived on the scene, but when they arrived there, they only saw one, the younger brother. They asked him, where's your brother? Where's your brother? The boy could barely respond. He said, with tears in his eyes, I'm standing on his shoulders. It's a sad story. I'm standing on his shoulders. Friends, you and I, when we were helpless, we were hopeless, and we were stuck in the quicksands of life, and we began to struggle to try and earn it, deserve it, get out. The God of the universe, our older brother in Jesus Christ, he came down from heaven. He stepped down into earth. He entered the quicksands of life, and he allowed us to stand on his shoulders so that we could have life even though our life would end in death. That we could stand on his shoulders, that we could be forgiven even though we were the one who trespassed. That we could stand on his shoulders even though we had chosen to turn the other way and rather than following in his footsteps, we took our own path and it led to destruction. We're standing on his shoulders and this is what this text is telling us. But God, even though we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We have been saved. We are saved. And God is a savior. He is the savior of the world. His name is Jesus. Jesus means God saves. Prophetically, it was spoken about that he was born to save his people from his sins. And God saves us through Jesus Christ as an act of mercy and love and grace. Justice is giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And, and, and mercy, mercy, is not, it's not giving us as we deserved we should have deserved to die. We should have deserved to take the punishment for sin. But God, in his great mercy for us, does not give us what we deserve, but instead gives us grace, incredible grace. Justice demanded our heads, but mercy and love compelled God to give us grace, an undeserved gift. And so I'm going to invite the band up, and I want to end with this question for us. We have a decision. Will we be people who claim but God? Or will we be a people who claim but I? You see, but I, people say, but, but I was a good person. But I volunteered. But I donated money. But I didn't do anything that wrong. But I went to church. But I was kind to my neighbors. But I was just sometimes. But I made up for it. The challenge of this text today, 
Because some of you don't even, you don't even believe Paul. You don't really even really believe him, that this was our reality or perhaps your reality. But he tells us of the gospel and he gives us a choice. Will we be a people who say, one day as we stand before the creator, but I? Or will we be people who stand before the creator and say, but God, you were, you were so rich in mercy and you loved me so much that even though I was dead in my sins and my trespasses, God, you made me alive together. You resurrected me with Jesus Christ. You put new spiritual life into my body. And I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God, you gave it to me. For by grace, I've been saved. Not through works. I cannot boast. I cannot take credit. This is a gift. And God, I accepted that free gift. And so I claim before you right now, God of the universe, but God, but God, not but I, but God. But God, you were so kind to me when I was 16 years old that you by your spirit would illuminate to my heart that you were God and that you were good and I could place my trust in you. I want you to think of your testimony if you believe. But God was so good to you. He was so rich in kindness towards you and mercy towards you that he made you alive. He gave you new life. He will not hold you accountable for the things that you've done. Can you believe that? And for the person who doesn't believe here today, this question of but I or but God is very, very important for you. Because today, you can walk out of those doors and continue to strive. You can continue to try and earn it. You can continue to virtue signal to the world. Or you can be a person who goes, walks out of these doors today with your head held high and your, shirt, your shoulders released of a burden. Say, but God, I place my faith in him. It has been by grace that I am saved and I accept this free gift. And I place my faith in you, Jesus. And that's what the communion table is. So if you're a believer, come to the table. And as you come to the table, it is a proclamation that you say, but God, not but I. If you're someone who wants to follow Jesus today, come to the table. As you come to the table, it is a proclamation to the seen and the unseen world that even though this was my testimony, it is no longer my reality. I'm a child of God. I've been made alive. I've been resurrected with him. I have life forever. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And come to the table. Don't rush up all at once, but take a moment. And when you're ready, and the fullness of this moment comes before your eyes as you remember the body that was broken for you and the blood that was shed for you. Take, eat. God, thank you for this powerfully, powerful text. The beginning of this message didn't feel like good news. It felt pretty hard and heavy, and maybe some of us are still grappling and wrestling with that truth. But in this moment of surrender, in this moment of your presence, as we come to the table, we are proclaiming that we are a people that say, but God. You were so rich in mercy and you loved us so much. Even though I was dead, you raised me to life. 
through your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, God, for that reality. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.